the blast from our past network. Hey everyone, co-host Corey here. I just wanted to take a quick second and say thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. Without you, podcasting after dark would not be possible. If you would like to help the show grow, please consider signing up at patreon.com slash podcasting after dark. You can also support the show by purchasing one of our awesome t-shirt designs on our merch store at podcastingafterdark.com or by picking up a copy of Seven Winters Alone by David Irons on paperback, hardback, or Kindle. Just search for Seven Winters Alone on Amazon or click on the link in the show notes. A free way to help out is to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Those reviews are huge for us and really helps get the show in front of new listeners. Again, thank you all so much for the love and support you've given us over these past few years. It really means the world to us. Welcome to our Patreon-exclusive interview series for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Tonight's interview is with the star of Family Ties, Black Scorpion, and Phantom 2040. Actor, Scott Valentine. Well, Scott Valentine, thank you so much for being on Podcasting After Dark. Corey, Zach, it's a real pleasure. Thank you guys for inviting me. I appreciate it immensely. If we were together, I'd be I'd be making you guys a, a beautiful meal and some lovely drinks so we could uh, eat and 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 talk. And I've taken that over. I have my own bowl of oatmeal here, and I <laughs> I will share. All right. I was gonna say, you know, making oatmeal can be an art form. So, <laughs> yeah. Zach actually taught me how to make some real bomb oatmeal uh, a couple years ago. So I yeah, did. we're we're all oatmeal fans here. <laughs> And this is the, What's the recipe? podcast. <laughs> so the, the recipe was adding a lot of bacon. And you put an egg on top too. Nice. Soft boiled nice. or hard boiled. Yeah. Over easy. Over yeah. easy. Yeah. <laughs> and then watch really? cholesterol. Cholesterol goes up. As you can tell by this lovely addition on my uh, my chin here, I have to I have to watch the carbs. Um and actually that sounds kinda yummy, really. Nice warm oatmeal with a with a little bit of bacon. In a soft-boiled egg? Nice. And, you know, I, I've given up bacon uh, in, for the past three years now. My son, who's now six, uh, we watched Charlotte's Web when he was three. And the, the live-action one, which I think is actually a really pretty good version of the of the book uh, and C.S. Lewis's book. And uh, there's a scene in the movie where, you know, Fern, the main character, she saves Wilbur. And then they cut right to um, making bacon in the morning for breakfast. And, you know, my, my wife and I, Kristen, we both laughed and Bodie says, why are you laughing? And we explained it to him. He goes, wait, bacon's pig. And I go, yeah. He goes, Oh, I don't want to ever eat bacon again. And I said, okay, okay, we won't. And so we stopped and we stopped eating octopus. Uh, and then, you know, the octopus teacher came out on Netflix, which I highly recommend Uh beautiful documentary and, and just shows how, you know, these creatures are so intelligent and like I used to eat red meat all the time and I've kind of curtailed it to the point where I don't even do it anymore, but talk about what it does to your body, you know, trying to turn back the hands of time. Yeah. The, the meat I limit my consumption to now is human. Cause that's one of the most, uh, you know, expendable. High in fiber. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And high in fat for a lot of us. <laughs> it's funny that Bodhi said that because my third son, Justin, when he was four, he's now 28. We were having Thanksgiving dinner, and uh, we said, oh, let's have the turkey. I put the turkey down, and he's like, we made a turkey in school today, you know, in, in, in pre-K. That's the turkey? We're eat- I'm not eating turkey. And became a vegetarian. They're on, you know, I was like, I don't want to eat animal. Yeah. And you have four kids. You have four boys, right? Four sons. And yeah. is he the only, is he the only one that's meat free? Um, actually, you know, it's really interesting. You'll see Zach as they get older because Trevin, my oldest, is uh, thirty four, and he could have his own cooking show. He's he's like a gourmet cook, uh, but the the kitchen's a total mess when he gets done. So 
and he he's not a vegetarian but he is very healthful in his eating uh they will not buy they shop in the perimeter of the of the grocery store they they don't go in the middle aisles you know that theory yeah about yeah yeah you, you don't get all the the box stuff and everything just go for the, exactly. the produce and things like that yeah yeah you go you go for produce and proteins and veggies are all in the perimeter and then the uh the next one uh the 32 year old has his master's degree in uh health in a one of the lines of health he's like he's also a jujitsu fighter yeah so he wow. eats so much yeah. meat and protein and just he's an animal he's an animal he's crazy <laughs> The 28-year-old, he orders in like, uh, you know, a fat burger and uh, and uh, whatever fast food. He's like, I got my tummy, my tummy. Dude, look what you eat. Look what you put in your body. What do you expect, okay? And that's the one who was a vegetarian. And now he's just, it's like, you know, really? why is my tummy hurt? Why do I have headaches? I said, maybe if you ate food was a little bit less processed had less crap in it, maybe you'd feel better. And then um, the 22-year-old, he's a very healthful eater too, very smart. You know, the only thing I'll say, Zach, about having another kid, it gets easier the more you have. It does. <laughs> Don't tell my wife that. <laughs> it's easier, it is. You're going to be more broke, you know. I'm, yeah, I'm exactly. shit. I was shit-ass <laughs> broke, you know. <laughs> Buying clothes for four, buying sneakers for four, buying food for four, paying for school for four. Um, it just totally like you're stretched so thin. But um, it just gets better. It gets better, man. It truly gets. If you have and you impress me as somebody who has more than half a brain, that you're a compassionate person, you're empathetic. Yeah. Um, it's just the best relationships you could ever hope for. Better than what's what's her name? Christine? Kristen. Yeah, Kristen. Kristen. Better than Kristen. You'll toss her out and say, just give me the kids. <laughs> well, I think at this point she she sees that with my son. Uh my <laughs> we, he and I are like she she's like, You're like those the the dad and the son and I love you, man, where you know, the, 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 they're like best buddies, they're bros for life. And uh, I said, no, it'll change. She goes, no, it's never changing. I go, no, it'll change. <laughs> it's not going to change. No, it won't. <laughs> My sons, every day, every day they call me or they text me. They're, I'm back in New York. They're all out in L.A. Every day it's I love you, I love you, I love you. Every time they see their brother, or brother is one of them. They greet each other with a hug and a, I love you. And when they part, it's a hug and I love you. Awesome. And that was one thing I really wanted to get through to them is that they have this just unbridled, full ability to share whatever emotionally that they can. You know, the bullshit. I'm 62. Uh, Corey looks like he's like 26. And, <laughs> Thank you. And, I'm, and I'm, I'm 42, but thank you. <laughs> you look good, dude. You look thank good. You. I appreciate that. And it, I was going to say, it's it's wonderful that you said that. Um, Zach and I reflect a lot of times because of the nature of this of the podcast that we're doing. We talk about a lot of stuff from our nostalgic past, and a lot of the movies, even though they were like all ages and stuff, they also showed that males couldn't like express emotions to each other yeah. and, and stuff yeah. like that. Even in movies like, you know, Bill and Ted's like they'd hug at the end, but then like, Oh, you know, they can't. We yeah. Can't they, express it emotions. was like, well, that's awkward. We can't do that. Yeah. 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 But, but as I've gotten older in life, I've done, I've tried to, um, started to tell my, my male friends that I love them. And, you know, at first they're like, uh, uh, what, what, you know, but I like that you instilled that in your, your sons from an early age, because it's so important for, for guys, especially to understand that our, feelings are valid and we are allowed to have them yeah dude i do that with all my male friends i hug them i tell them i love them and they're the ones that do the i'm like dude it's okay we're not it's gay okay. Yeah, exactly. and even if we are gay it's okay all right yeah. if you want to suck a dick suck a dick god love you have at it yeah. you know it doesn't matter whatever butters your bread be happy whatever glazes your donut as i like to say <laughs> yeah i can't believe i'm 62 you know, I mean, Zach, I'm guessing you're about the same age as Corey. You, yeah. you look fucking great, man. Well, thanks. Yeah, fuck you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you guys, remember, you remember 22 like it was yesterday, I'm sure. Yeah, unfortunately. And from 42 and 44, to, I'm 62. It goes like whoosh. 
It, it does. Boom. So like, you know that old expression, and, and, and Zach, you're a lover of, of Joseph Campbell. It's not about the journey, it's about the ride. It's not the destination, it's the, it's the ride, it's the journey, is what I meant to say. Um, no, I turned my, my dad on to that. My dad, who was a former Navy SEAL and a firefighter and all-around badass and very devoid of emotion for, well, the better part of his, the better part of my childhood, you know, um, that never could say I love you to me. And, and, and he, and he hadn't for over 30 years and then finally did, uh, on my wedding day. And, uh, ever since my son was born, he's turned into a mush and he's reading Joseph Campbell now and meditating and drinking kombucha. Oh. He's back in Michigan, you know, and he's trying to, well, now he knows you're not gay. That's what it is. Okay. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> And like you said, if you are, it's all good. It's, it's beautiful, all good, you know? baby. <laughs> you know, my dad was a construction worker, mm. <clears throat> coach football, coach baseball, coach bas- uh, baseball, basketball, football, was very good at it, very, you know, man's man. Yeah. And when I moved to New York City to become an actor and started doing therapy, and I said, I, I hate that my dad won't tell me he loves me. Yeah. And my yeah. therapist is like, you have to tell him that you love him. You must tell him. So I'm like, okay. I'm yep. doing it. And that was my, my leather jacket, Doc Martens, khaki phase, right? So I take a train from New York City back up to Saratoga Springs. <clears throat> it's Friday afternoon. He's coaching football. I get off the train. I take a cab across town. I get out with my backpack. It's August, okay, in upstate New York. It's hot in a son of a gun. Humidity's through the roof. And I'm walking across the field, sweating my ass off. And see him over there across the field. And he's looking at me like. And I get close to him. He's like, what are you doing, boy? What, what, what's up, boy? And I drop my back. I walk up and I hug him. And he's like, I'm like, Dad, it's okay. We can hug each other. Doesn't mean you're gay. And if you are, it's okay. But we can hug each other, okay? I love you. I fucking love you. And I shook him and I held back and I looked, you know, he's much taller than me and I looked at him he's like okay all right okay (laughs) and my dad sucked at one-on-one conversations sucked he sucked at intimacy I'm sure your dad uh Zach for the longest time Corey I don't yeah and to get him my dad died very young he died when he was 68 wow uh, from myelodysplasia from working on construction and being exposed to PCBs, polychlorinated biphenols. Jeez. As I got older, he was able more and more to freely say, I love you and hug me and, and, and get there. It sucked that the fucking cancer took him, but it was great that something got through that it's okay to show emotion. We don't have to be rocks as males. We don't have to be emotionless. Yeah. You know? And I love that. And I love that you went to therapy for that. I mean, uh, I, uh, one of my hardest low points in my life was, was when I finally reached out and started going to therapy as well and realized how important it was and how important it is for people to recognize that we go to the gym to work out, to get our bodies in shape, but we need something to keep our brains in shape too. And that's what therapy does. Mm-hmm. I think, I think, it's a, yeah, I think it's a good thing. And I think, you know, like meditation and everything, I was just going to say, I'm kind of on a similar journey with my dad right now. Uh, he's, he's fighting cancer, you know, he, he, they're talking maybe a year or two left and and he's he, he's never had a problem you know telling me he loves me and everything but that was always kind of probably the extent of where it went to you know and he's he was a used car salesman you know big he was you know a, a, a frat boy that grew up right or never grew up he was always kind of like that big guy but i mean there was a couple like like about a couple months ago when he was in a real bad shape with the chemo and we were talking and I just, I kind of cried and everything and he was kind of quiet and it was, it sucked because I could tell, I, I know in my heart he doesn't look down on me, but I could tell a little bit he was like, why are you crying? You know what I mean? Like, why are you crying? And I'm just like, I was like, damn, that sucks. Like, you know, just, but I'm looking forward to this year and kind of doing what, you know, trying to soften him up and reconnecting with him a little bit and everything. But I get it. I totally understand. And, but it's, it's also, I, I guess I should also say, I understand that it's, it's his journey to be on, not mine to make him, you know, more whatever affectionate or whatever. I, I don't. Well, it's like, yeah. it's like anything. Look, uh, I, I have a son who's an alcoholic. He's got 12 years sober. Thank God. Yeah. That's, um, awesome. That's awesome. 
it's fucking awesome, man. It's 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 the worst thing to go through. Wondering if your son is you're going to wake up and he's be, you know, there's an empty bottle of vodka and he's dead mm. from alcohol toxicity. Um, but he never would have done that, no matter how much I begged, cajoled, demanded, pulled, unless he found it on his own. And he's done it all by himself. I'm extremely proud. Your dad, my dad, Zach's dad, they would, if they didn't want to, they won't do it. It's just like getting people to quit cigarettes or go to therapy. And it's a shame in America that we have this stigmatism with regard to mental and emotional health. You know, one of the great things about COVID, and I'm always trying to find the silver lining to find the beautiful patch of flowers amongst the the field of of manure, is there's a lot of, out in California, in New York, I don't know other parts of the country, but there's a lot of uh, advertising and awareness on TV, on on, uh, the internet of, do you need help? Are you suffering mentally? Are you suffering emotionally? Call this number and there's somebody to help you. That more and more therapy is becoming a, as you said, Zach, it, it's like, it's a regular form of, of, of health benefit for us. Yeah. You know, it's okay. I see a good therapist as sort of like a good coach. Totally. You know, I mean, we can't, nobody has all the answers. And even if they don't have the answers that you can sit there and have somebody who's totally objective. They have no subjectivity. There's no horse in the race. And they will tell you, you, you got to find one that's good because I've a lot of shitload of therapy. Some of them are fucking assholes. And some are just great that you wish you could keep as a pal for the rest of your life to be able to pick up the phone and go, hey, blah, 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 blah. and <laughs> it's just it's 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 a great gift. And, and to get my sons to go to therapy where this stigmatism, I'm like, dude, come on. What the fuck? Like a coach. Yeah. You go and you talk, and nobody. I said you try to talk, and you and I love my sons. Call me their best friend, and it's so flattering. Um, but there are things that I know that you're reluctant to tell me. It's okay to tell me I'm an asshole. It's okay to tell me I fucked up, because I'm not perfect. I've made mistakes, you know, and that brings us closer. But there's there's shit they're not going to tell me because I am their dad. So there's shit, Zach. Your dad's not going to tell you. I'm, it sounds like you guys have got a great relationship. Corey, you guys are getting there, um, but there's still shit that our parents aren't going to share with us, yeah, or our children aren't going to share with us. And I tell you what, Bodie, dude, wait. The conversations you will have over your life as he gets older and older, and it just gets better and better and better. It does. From that, you know, when you walk through the door, and he's like two and a half, three, and you're like the greatest thing in the whole world. Yeah, you're still the greatest thing in the whole world, but it's just so fucking cool. And the, the conversations you yeah, it's have, cool. yeah, it just it's great, man. It's great. Yeah, he, yeah he's uh, yeah, I won't go on too much about him, but he did share with me uh, that he had a dream this morning. He woke, he goes, I got emotional in my dream. And I said, why? What happened? He goes, I was on stage and you were a lot older. And because we were watching Hamilton right now, and I think he's seeing he's like fascinated by the actors on stage. And I said, he goes, I was on stage and I said a knock knock joke to everybody. And I said, oh, what's your knock knock joke? He goes, he goes, knock knock. And everyone goes, who's there? And he goes, doctor. And and then you were the only one that said doctor who because you like doctor who. And he goes, he goes, it made me so emotional because you got the joke and you came up on stage with me. And you hugged me, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm <laughs> I'm gonna start crying. You know, he's like, I know, because I got emotional too. And we started <laughs> singing a song together, the Good Evening song, and because we sing a song before he goes to bed, and and it was just a beautiful moment where I'm like, dude, you, this is so introspective for a six year old, you know? And yeah, um, and 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 you know, it's my dad was was very much like in in Corey's and your dad's box where like he, he had this baggage and I just, I finally let it go. Like your therapist said, go tell your dad you love him. Like you have to be that one to make that bridge, right. To make that connection. But, um, I'm so fascinated by the fact that you were, you were acting in New York. You go to New York, you, you, you start acting, but you're also going to therapy too. It's almost like you had this life coach while you were training, right? Dude, it was, it was, you know, it was funny. Um, I'm trying to remember who turned me on to this. It was a, I was singing at the time. Yes, I used to sing. 
<laughs> tenor? Did you sing tenor? Ten or, ten or 12 yes, miles Yes, I did. And I can do alto tenor. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. Wow, cool. Yeah. At one time, I was good. One time, 40 years ago. <laughs> and you get some you get some bass in that voice. So. Dude, I could hit a B flat, okay? I'm so sure you can, yeah. Um, I was sent to, and I can't remember who, a woman who was an opera coach to learn to sing properly. If I was going to do Godspell in Oklahoma and... Um, I got I got cast in a uh, in a Broadway play once as one of the two leads, and they're like, "Can you dance?" I'm like, "Sure, I can dance." But <laughs> 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 she like, "Show me your moves," and you're like, "Yeah, it's like this, right?" <laughs> Up here, jazz hands. Jazz hands. <laughs> you're like, I got it. Look, <laughs> no problem. Uh, uh, you didn't. Your feet are still. Yeah. Look. Okay. <laughs> I can move my upper body. <laughs> it's my lower body. Who cares? Well, I, I rapidly went from like one of the leads to one of the supporting to head of the chorus to in the chorus to, you know, you can come get tickets to the show if you oh, like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but uh, I went to this opera coach and she said to me one day, she goes, you need therapy. What do you mean I need therapy? Therapy. Moi? <laughs> But, you know, you guys are younger. I don't know if it was that much of your generation. My generation, we had the shit beat out of us all the time. Yeah. And maybe you with your dad being a Navy SEAL and all that. Corey, I don't know with you and what your dad, what his. He, he was, he, he was, he, I know he was, he could be aggressive, but I never saw it because I didn't live with him. Uh, I lived with my mom and would go visit him, you know, a couple months out of the year. And I kind of uh, get the, like, now older, I kind of understand that he was probably on his best behavior when I was there, you know. But yeah, I, I think you're right. It, that, that generation was a bit more aggressive. Uh, I mean, uh, shit, we, it was more so my mother than my father. My father usually beat you because mom got on his ass so much. He was like, will you stop beating him? Fucking bitch. <laughs> and I mean, my sisters got beat worse. We were whipped with electrical cords, uh, hangers, trophies became a, an implement to whack you over the head with. Wow. It, it was fucking nuts. Yeah. But then there was this, this crazy duplicity of like, that's love. Yeah. So then as a young person, you enter into relationships with significant others that are abusive because you you have this this mental emotional imprint of like oh i'm seeking that out and you've got to create new neural pathways joey campbell yeah um and you've got to create new what what's right for you and it takes a long time to figure out that somebody that's abusive to you somebody that calls you fucking asshole or you're a jerk or you're a loser which i've gotten from other relationships like wait a second this isn't love Mm -hmm. that's not okay no, it's not permissible. It's not like, well, they didn't hit me. So it's not that bad. Yeah. You know, it's just not acceptable. I don't go around. I don't. I'm a nice fucking guy. God damn it. <laughs> you are. Yeah, yes. Yeah, you very much are. I, I don't call people asshole. I don't call people fucking loser. When people make mistakes, it's like, OK, let's look at what we did. Let's try to fix it. What did we do and how can we change it next time? I'm not a punitive person. And unfortunately, I lined myself after moving out of the house and then in the, the initial in my younger years with people that were truly abusive mm. and I'm not saying, Oh, you're abusive. You're an asshole. Fuck you. It was, yeah. they had their own shit to work on too. And it's, everything's a two way street as well. I, I, I oh, am yeah. not going to sit here and say, Oh, my side of the street's clean. I didn't do anything, you know, but it takes a long time to figure it out. I mean, the gal I'm with now, who's my fiance, is like a gift from from God, a gift from whatever, whoever, whatever make us, whatever's pulling the strings, because she's so docile. She's so, she's the person in her family that when something goes awry, they all call her, Jen, help. Yeah. And That's she's awesome. just, she's so buoyant and so, you know, has, has such a good, and that doesn't mean that she doesn't have her moments of emotionality. She didn't have at times where we've had uh, maybe a little discord, which I think is good and healthy, depending upon how you handle it and how you yeah, deal right. with it. You know, it's like producing, you guys are producing your own show. Yeah. 
you know, as a producer, I've been a producer. We have our own companies. It's not a matter of if something is going to go wrong. Something will go wrong, inevitably. In producing a movie, producing a TV show, lots of stuff goes wrong each and every day. You know, it's how you address that when it happens. That's why I was so lucky getting on Family Ties because the guy who is the showrunner, and for your viewers, the showrunner is the Grand Fromage. That person, they are the one that says not only creatively, but technically and mechanically what happens in the execution of creating that, that show. And even though, yes, the studio is putting up money and the network's putting up money, that showrunner, is the, he, he or she is the guy. Yeah. And Gary Goldberg... Sorry, did you guys hear that? <laughs> <laughs> that was Gary speaking from beyond. <laughs> um, Scott, do me, do me well. Do me well. <laughs> Don't fuck with me, Valentine. <laughs> I will strike you down. <laughs> um, you know the expression, the fish stinks from the head. Gary was so loving, compassionate. I never, ever saw him lost his cool. I heard stories where he did, but on the set, in the room with the writers, dealing with the crew, he was like Mr. Chill. You know, as they say, he pissed ice cubes. Jeez. Now there's a vision. <laughs> well, I, painful. It's, that's a painful vision. <laughs> well, considering I've got a few kidney stones up here, too. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, thanks. I, I do want to uh, talk about the Nick character. Uh, for, for oh, me, I thought you wanted to talk about kidney stones. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Passed one last night. Wow. The Welcome kidney stone to... podcast. <laughs> Welcome to Kidney Stones <laughs> After Dark. <laughs> um, like growing up in as an artist or creative type in a family that's not creative, but still supportive, but still you know not creative people. Um, I always kind of felt like an outsider. And when I was younger, I kind of I'm kind of been piecing these together for the past week or so as I'm sort Corey. of visiting Corey, don't worry and think that maybe you are an outsider you are an outsider <laughs> and that's a good thing we're, we're loving you we're embracing yes. you and bringing you in <laughs> <laughs> sorry no, it's okay. but uh the... you are weird you are <laughs> i always yeah, oh, we I love, love you son we do and and the cool honestly i'm not gonna lie the cool thing is the nick character taught me at a young age to be myself embrace myself embrace like who i am not you know he he, he wasn't and i did just rewatch the mr wrong episode and I, I was honestly very uh not shocked but very pleasantly surprised at how well family ties still holds up to today it's it's very oh, good yeah. show but the nick character I'm, I'm realizing now how influential that character was on me when i was younger and informing me to basically not aggressively stand my ground like in a bad way, but not let people tell me who I'm supposed to be versus who I am. And I, I just I just wanted to tell you that like that the Nick character was very important to me as a kid and still is like to today still is a very important part of my life, especially, and Zach and I talk about this, you know, we were both raised by our mothers and we didn't have um, always present in our life strong male role models, so we kind of had to search them out. I, you know, I, we, we look to movies, you know, that's what we, movies and TV, yeah. and, and you know, I always say characters like, you know, Hicks from Aliens and Mad Max and all these characters I love, but truthfully, characters like Nick, on Family Ties was just <clears throat> as influential to me growing up as any of these other characters were or any other male influences in my life, to be truthful with you. Cool, dude. Cool. So, so thank you. I just wanted to say thank you for that. You know, I, w I was a vehicle. I wasn't the, the, the impetus. The writers, Alan Uger created the character Nick. He was friends with Gary Goldberg since I think they were teenagers, I think. Alan was one of the writer-producers on the show, but he was working as a dentist when Gary said, hey, you want to come write this show with me? Really? Um, <laughs> and Alan was a bit, you know, idiosyncratic. I imagine Gary, Gary was a jock. And I think Gary, to a certain degree, probably had that mentality of hiding your emotion, hiding your feeling. Um, and his wife, Diane Meehan, probably was the hippie chick that he fell head over heels with that was like, dude, you know, put put down the cock shield. You, you don't have to be busting down the door. Just just relax. Chill, man. Chill. <laughs> and I think it was a, a, a work in progress for him. 
he was very, and the writers were, and, and something about family ties too, which I had nothing to do with. I was very lucky to be there. It was something about the writers that had the ability to convey messages that were rather poignant and salient even today. Now, <clears throat> the, the, the execution of the show cinematically may look a little bit staid from the 80s, which was the, you know, the four camera style. Yeah. But I still have people say to me, well, why, why is it still, you know, why is it held up? There's something about it like All in the Family, like, um, I don't know, Mary Tyler Moore. I don't know if you guys remember that. Oh, yeah. Like, um, I can't think of other, maybe MASH, you know. Yep. Shows that were able to blend comedy with very meaningful elements. Remember the episode, uh, A, My Name is Alex, yeah, where yeah. Alex has a friend who dies? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it was an hour episode. The network allowed them to do it without commercials. And it was really a, a young man's journey into being able to be to show emotion, to show loss of somebody very dear. So they didn't go for the yuck. There was, there was a thing on the set that always existed with uh, hearing the writers go, nah, that's funny, but we're making a right-hand turn to go grab a joke. You know, let's not go way over here to grab a funny where it doesn't stick to the plot line. Now, of course, there was the traditional structure, A plot, B plot, C plot. Yeah. <clears throat> and every episode, and C was usually the carnival, the goofiness when you had to throw a, a laugh in there. <clears throat> but that character, the Nick character that, that Gary was aware of, and he didn't say to me until years later, of, he said, what a great job you did coming into a situation where your job was to be hated by everybody except one person. And he, uh, he had a book that he wrote, and I was lucky enough to get invited to the, whatever, the book signing premiere thing. And he had mentioned it where when he's speaking in front of these audience of people and had singled me out in the audience and saying how the character, not me, but the character represented something that we all need to do in life. We need to we need to be true to our own music, to our own palette of colors. We don't it's not about being accepted. It's more so about accepting others, but being true to our our colors, our song, our music, our beat. And Nick was very much that. I mean, I could relate to Nick resoundingly my my dad was this macho football baseball construction guy i was not yeah you know i was doing theater i was singing <laughs> um but um as 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 abusive as my mother was and now she's a dear little 87 year old scrunch of a woman <laughs> and i'm looking at her going god you used to instill the fear of god in all of us and you're right. like a little you're a, <laughs> i could go and you would fall over but um, a thing that I got, I can't speak for my siblings, was rivaling in your individuality. You know, back in the 70s, remember in the 70s, long hair was like cool, hippie. My mother would not let us cut our hair. She wanted me and my brother to have long hair, to have, you know, where, no, you're not wearing work boots and jeans. You're wearing, you're, you know, you're going to have the fancy bell bottoms and the platform shoes. Wow. No. There was something artistically that way that she, that obviously got through to us of, yeah. of expressing our individuality. Um, and I think that's what made the Nick character sort of easy for me to slide into. I had friends that made art out of garbage, literally. <laughs> uh, we, used to, we used to hunt Manhattan uh, garbage piles at night and dig through the garbage piles to find things for them to make art out of. Um, and... I always, you know, back in the 70s, I was into the band's Return to Forever and uh, Jethro Tull and uh, uh, Mahavishnu Orchestra, where other people were into, you know, I don't know, uh, uh, Yellow, Boston, uh, you know, which are not bad, but I tried to pick things as far away. I, I, I was into Muddy Waters. I was into, you know, things like that. And um, I wanted to be different. I, I and, and it was... It was cheered. It was rivaled. And I sort of like that the Nick character, like you're saying, hopefully got through to people to say, it's okay to dance to your own music. It it, it did. It did. But it also, and, and I'm just going to cite it because I just watched it this morning in the Mr. Wrong episode, like Nick, 
he could easily have just been a one-off. He could have easily just been like, oh, a gruff and, you know, this and that. But no, he, there was something underneath, you know, the fact that he waited outside and, and he knew that he, stor- like, when he stormed out of the episode, he knew, he like, that character knew he was wrong. Like, you could, especially at 42 watching it now, I was like, oh, this is a, the beginnings of a really well-rounded character because totally. he, he, yeah. he, he can tell what his flaws are, but he also knows what he wants and he wants, you know, he wants to be good to Mallory. But, and it's not, and I said that specifically, he doesn't want Mallory. He wants to be good to Mallory. And I was like, I was like, damn, this is really good. <laughs> and, and, and it's like, I knew it was when I was a kid, but I didn't know like how good it was. I just knew that it resonated with me because I was like, okay, he, he's also a nice guy. He looks tough, but he's also a nice guy. That is all you talking to you now. That is all Scott Valentine. That, that's your eyes. That's that's yeah. you. You are you seem like a nice guy to me. And I think that came through, but I think that's a, in a very important part of that, of the Nick, of the, the Nick Moore character. Um, but yeah, it's, it's such a great character. And I will, I just, I'm, I'm, I just want you to understand how important it was to me as a kid. Dude, it really, really was. I love you. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> and I, and I also want to recognize the fact that your five o'clock shadow earring and mullet probably shaped me as well. <laughs> I mean, dude, you I look, still have a five o'clock shadow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on. Like that was in back then. It was hip. It was cool. It was, you know, I, I, I came from the family where they were like, oh, if you had long hair, you were a girl. Or if you had an earring, you were a girl. Or this whole bullshit, you know? And um, and, and so, but you come on screen. And, and like you said, you know, it, you, you mentioned All in the Family. You mentioned Cheers. You mentioned Mary Tyler Moore. Family Ties is definitely a groundbreaking show in the sense that it was that family. It, it showed such a well-rounded dynamic uh, and introduced characters outside of the family that were obviously memorable in particular your character and you know trend setting as well too you know and so you just had this presence on screen that i know Corey obviously was gushing over and and i can echo that that there was something about your presence that i was like well i want to see more of nick you know and i'm glad whether it was short-lived or not i'm glad you got a little spin-off in a, in a sense and you know and then I wanted to see more of you on screen and it was so great to see you in whether it was a, you know, cheese ball flick or, you know, or <laughs> did, did plenty of those <laughs> <laughs> for me though. And I was talking to somebody about this the other day. It might've even been Corey when we were talking about one of our movies, the fact that you were making, I don't care if it was a schlock film or if it was Oscar worthy, the fact that you're working when such a small percentage of people in this business are able to go do more than one project or a project at a time. Like I'm a voice actor as well. You know, I can count on my fingers how many times I've booked a gig and I can not count on my fingers because I don't have enough of how many times I've auditioned for something that I didn't get, you know? Yeah. And it's a beautiful thing. You know the thing? You were able to do it. There was a thing that, um, and I'm sure I'm guessing it's a guess going out on a limb here, but both of you are probably fans of Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh yeah. Yeah. Such a, but like he went from character to character to character and you wanted to see him. You wanted to, you know, he, he truly, I think he has probably one of them, a a career prior to dying that I admired so much and wish that I had because of his ability to slip from this to that, to this. Whereas if other guys like, I don't know, Clint Eastwood, yeah, you know, yeah. um, Sylvester Stallone, they've had very successful careers, but they're essentially doing the same thing again and again and again. And that, that kind of was somewhat of my demise uh, for my career because People wanted me to keep on playing the monosyllabic, lovable, roguish guy. I wanted to play, you know, the architect, the doctor, the lawyer, the the goofy, the weird gay guy, the what I wanted to do all those colors. And I had had people that are managers and agents say to me, you alienated your audience doing that. They they knew and fell in love with you as that you should have stuck with that. And I'm like, no, I want to 
I want to have all these colors. So that was somewhat detrimental for my career, along with having a business manager that stole about a million dollars from me, and, which then takes you from being able to pick the roles you want and making strategic aesthetic choices to, I need a fucking job because I got to buy milk and bread. Yeah. You know, and, and, and to go from one day being able to say, honey, where do you want to go? Barbados, Bahamas, Bermuda, pick a bee. We'll go there. Any bee that you can think of to the next day being, we don't have money to buy milk. Mm. We're, we're kind of fucked here. Yeah. Um, it's funny though, using that expression, we're fucked. I never, I don't really have never used that in reference to myself. Even, even, I don't know if you know, I was run over by a truck. Yeah. I wanted to talk about that. Yeah. And, um, I think we as humans need to be careful of our own self speak mm -hmm. and how we refer to ourselves and not go like, Oh man, I fucked up yep. it, it, because then you're, you're instilling like, so oh, you're bad or you're negative or you're less than yeah. and say it's better to say, you know, I, I made a bad choice. Made a bad, I'll make a different choice next time. Yeah. Because once you start saying I'm fucked, then you're playing victim. And I, I don't like being victim. Or, or like, or like, oh, fuck me, right? Like, this is just my luck. But if you keep saying it, then that's what the universe, like, thinks that that's what you want. So it's like, well, okay, we're, I'm giving you this. <laughs> I'm you're clearly you saying then. it. <laughs> yeah, you want to be fucked? I'm giving you fucked, you know? And that is that is a massive, massive mental change that, and I've never been, like, a negative person, but that's a massive mental change that I've tried to do in the past five years. And that's through, like, meditation and self, like, reflection. But, like, understanding that the universe, like, your words have power. Power and and saying something like that all the time, like "oh fuck me, this is all oh, I got terrible luck." That's what's going to happen. And, and 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 but it's so hard to break that that cycle and that that change of change your brain to to say, yeah. okay, you know what? I might have gotten fucked, but it was a it was a series of things, and I'm going to learn from it. And you know what? It's not going to happen again. And that's a whole different mentality to have. What changed for you? What was the change for you? What do you mean? Like what, what, what was it when you were, you're having that self-deprecation, that self, you know, loathing and, and or, or in sense of like, I'm not going I, anywhere. At the risk of sounding really, and I never want to sound egotistical. I'm, I've, I'm sure it's happened. They've been a, a moment, but I very little have I ever had the self-deprecation or self-loathing. I've had the <laughs> introspection and going, you know, like when the guy stole a million bucks from me, I have to see what role I played in that. Mm -hmm. Because if I go, well, that guy fucked me and he's, he's an asshole, fuck him. <clears throat> then I'm removing all of my power in the situation. Totally, totally. And I have to see what role I played and what choices I can make different next time. So I don't have somebody steal a million dollars from me again. That's yeah. really important though, because I think oftentimes people don't do that. There was this no. idea of like, why me? Why me? Why did this happen to me? Why is my country turning into a disaster? You know, what, 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 why is this dark cloud, you know, always? And there's this idea, I, I try to instill that in my son, like, you take personal responsibility for your role in everything. There, we, we are all a part of the universe. There's not, not, Everyone's not conspiring against us. There's something, there's one, my, my son loves these Rube Goldberg videos, you know, um, one thing leading into another, these contraptions, and we're fascinated by it. But that's life, one thing leading into another, one thing. Well, I think if we, if we can teach our kids that <clears throat> and teach ourselves there, you know, it's very, again, I'm going to say Joseph Campbell. He's a pretty astute, insightful fellow. Um to look at what we did, how we did, to really trace our steps back. It's sort of like, you know, when you lose your, whatever, you lose your wallet or you lose your glass, and it's like, okay, where do you remember having them last? Take the steps backwards. And if we're able to do that in any situation, the producing of a movie, the, the, the assembling of a company and getting it to launch and become hopefully successful, and there's, like you said, you've got, you can count on one hand how many times you've nailed the job, and you could count on, toes and fingers of mine <laughs> and Corey's and yours and Brody's <laughs> and Kristen's and how many times you didn't, but you need to look at those times you didn't. And what did you do? What you did 
You know, it's a great thing. I highly encourage for any actor to do, because once you start producing, and now in this age of technology, um, right before COVID hit, we've got a few films that are financed and that we were ready to go into production last summer, and they've been, you know, but having people audition, looking at their um, their tapes, seeing them in person, 100% of the people that come in, of that 100%, 80% are good. Mm-hmm. They are. They're good. They walk. They talk. They got the lines out all right. They sort of knew the intent, the flow. 10 to 15% suck, and they should get a new career, and they need somebody to say – this is this is not you. You got to be honest yeah. with yourself, and you got to know. Maybe be a set designer, maybe be a director, but you're not you're not the guy or gal for this. Five percent to maybe ten, but five more so. They have that certain je ne sais quoi for that one role, not for life, but for that one role. And that eighty percent, I can't tell you how many times, how many auditions I went on. Look, when I got family ties, I moved from New York to L.A because I couldn't get a wrist set in New York. I was run over by the truck. Nobody would hire me. Wow. Um, and the last audition was literally going in for a movie with Robbie Benson and uh, Paul Newman, where I was on like my eighth callback. And there's the, the, the director, the producers. And at the end there, it was me and one other guy. And they seemed, you know, that was great. Oh, thanks. God. Thank you. Yeah. That, that was really good. That was, thank you so much. <laughs> and you never hear from him. It's like, just, Tell me I suck or tell me I'm not right, you know? Yeah, uh, I would appreciate that. <laughs> don't give me bullshit. But uh, anyway, um, I'd finish the audition and the casting director goes, uh, wait a second, didn't something happen to your hip? I'm like, excuse me? Because when I got run over, my, my femur, my hip, my pelvis was shattered. I was oh laid up God. for two years. I was paralyzed from the waist down. I died, came back. I have an artificial femur, artificial hip, artificial pelvis put in in 1983 i just had them changed in june got a new hip new femur new portion of my pelvis um but that wow. casting director was like what's wrong with your hip and i'm like i'm a hip guy no didn't you have an accident well we all have accidents we all run i, I walked into the dresser this morning that was an accident <laughs> oh no no something's wrong with, no there's nothing wrong with me and i jumped up on the coffee table and i was like look at me i can fly i got to and they all stared at me like, okay, all right, okay, thank you, thank you. <laughs> and I don't know why she brought it up at like the eighth audition, why she didn't say at the first audition. She literally said, you're like a tinker toy. You're going to fall apart on the set. Oh. Fuck you, oh. bitch. Yeah, I'm not yeah. a fucking yeah. tinker toy. Yeah. But anyway. I'm an erector set. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, connect. That's what I am. I'm connects. Okay. There you go. <laughs> does Brody have connects? He does. He has a few of those. Yeah. Yeah. And what are the other toy that you step on and they hurt like a son of a gun? Oh, um, Legos. Legos. <laughs> um, went out to LA. I auditioned for ten months. Got zero parts. Zero. Zero. In some weeks, I had twenty auditions in a week. Wow. And. You've got to believe in yourself. You've got to yeah. you got to look at what you did, do analysis. What can I change next time? And then whew, let it go. Totally. Yeah, let, let it go. go. Yep. Look, we got we got a a job we're working on up in Oklahoma now. A young man wants to build a uh, a water park resort. He's been trying for four years. He's put a lot of money into it, and it's I just I don't think it's going to happen. I just don't. And he's tried. And unfortunately, he's got a lot of like little investors that came in or he's got other people that came and worked with him. You know, like imagine us trying to put a movie together and we got a great script and we got a great cinematographer, but we just we just can't get the cast or we just can't get the money. And we don't turn and go, well, Corey, you're an asshole. <laughs> what you contributed on page 38 sucks, man. So it's your fault. It's not working. Sometimes it works. A lot of times it doesn't. Yeah. So there's all these people surrounding this guy saying, oh, he's an asshole. He did this duplicitously, or he was nefarious this way, or he was surreptitious this way, or he was spurious that way. All the isses, right? <laughs> and it's like, no, he fucked up. He made some bad choices. He's a young guy. He tried, and it didn't work. 
So know that you committed, you made your own choice. Nobody put a gun to your head and said, well, you got to hang out with Corey and and Zach and develop this script. And and Corey really sucks, but let's shoot Corey. Okay. (laughs) What did I do? (laughs) Nothing. You try. (laughs) And, and, And this guy, this young guy, he's put in, he's a great guy. He's put in maybe three million of his own money towards acquiring land, paying for plans, paying for surveys, paying for, you know, feasibility studies. That's a commitment. But everybody wants to blame him instead of going, wait a second, look at yourself. Yeah. What did you do? You should have given yourself a timeline. It's taken four years, which is a long time for something to develop. You should have said, I'm on board. Zach and Scott and Corey are going to try to write this script and get it off the ground. And if we don't get it off by 12 months, then I need to move on. Yeah. Yeah. Because I can't come back at month 14 and go, Zach, it's your fault. You told me this was going to work, Zach. You're a piece of shit for doing that. I fucking hate you. <laughs> you know, come on. You know? Yeah. We're all we're all captains of our own ship. Totally. Totally. You know? And yeah. and you know, I, I, I want to go back a little bit to your accident that 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 was obviously a life changer. And thank God, thank the gods that you're still with us and you know hopping around and moving around and, and you got your new hip and everything. You know? I'm a hip guy, man. <laughs> hey, I'm, if I was any hipper, I'd be a leg. Uh, so <laughs> That's a dad joke. <laughs> that was my stepdad who used to tell me that joke. But, uh, and he would say, the only thing missing on you is a cape. And I'm like, oh, thanks. Cool. Uh, you know, but, but <laughs> so anyways, that was um, good. here you are though. Like you, you, you transition, from acting on screen you did a lot of voice acting as well and honestly one thing we want to talk to you about was uh phantom 2040 which was really ahead of its time i'm sorry like people need to revisit that show and check it out first of all the 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 voice cast was bonkers crazy bonkers and you know, voice acting. Well, you back... know, let's talk, you know Rob Paulson. I'm sure if yeah. you're a voice actor, yeah, I've taken classes with him. Cat Susie, yeah. I mean, come on, those guys are like rock stars in that world, rock oh, stars. Oh. And then to have Margot Kidder, uh, Carrie Snodgrass, mm-hmm. um, Deborah oh, Harry, yeah. Pam, yeah. Pam. Uh, then she was Pam, um, Pam Segal, Pam Alden, yeah. um, Mark Hamill, Mark Hamill, Leah Ramini, Ron Perlman. And and the animation was fantastic on that show. Absolutely, I got fantastic. to fantastic. I love the style. I love yeah. the look. You know, his problem is the storylines were linear. Yeah, and people had to follow. It's not a problem, but it's a thing where. And Zach, I agree with you. Not because I'm in it, but I think it was ahead of its time. I think yes. if they let it out now and look at look at I did that crazy series Black Scorpion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. another yeah. great another great show. <laughs> and I did that because. At the time, we were putting together Deuces Wild, which we got done. Sucked. Big meanies. Uh, I learned a lot of le- I got fucked on that a few times and learned some lessons from it where I won't allow myself to get fucked again. There you go. Um, but Black Scorpion permitted me to be able to produce that in between. You know, when you're on an hour show, you're at the location for like 14 hours and maybe you're working three hours. Yeah. So what are you going to do the other eight hours? Sit in your trailer and eat donuts and, you know read the news um it's only so many times you can masturbate in a day you know so who's <laughs> gonna make yep. that joke but you made it for us so thanks that's right my record was 14 <laughs> <laughs> on the side of uh walker texas ranger i tell you <laughs> <laughs> I, I got up to 12 what was that show with the guy from andy griffith what was his name uh, um, yeah, matlock uh, matlock, <laughs> matlock. <laughs> that was weird you go in to do Matlock and you're thinking, it's a guy I know since I was a kid. He's, you know, Andy Mayberry. Nice guy. He was not a nice guy. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> he was he was an angry fella. Maybe oh. he was having a bad week and a half when I did the show. I don't know. He, he was... Anyway. Um, well, I was going to back... I was going to say with with Phantom 2040, you know, uh, it needs to be revisited because episodic television, linear television is is so popular now with shows like The Mandalorian and, you know. Walking Dead. Even the animated uh, shows these days are are more linear. And and I think that show would have done perfectly if it landed on Adult Swim or something. You know, like that's perfect for Adult Swim. I've bitched about about Netflix. All right. 
Netflix took all the independent films. Netflix owns about 20,000 titles. Yeah. If you have a Netflix account and you go sign into Netflix, they only show you about 400 titles per their algorithm. All right. A lot of independent filmmakers thought, answer to my prayers. I made my film for a million bucks. They bought it for a million and a half. I paid back my money. I've made a little extra. I'm done. But nobody ever sees it. When you would make an independent film prior to stream, as a producer, you had to fight like a dog to get it into art houses, fight like a dog to get a good DVD or VHS deal and make sure there was some media to promote it. And a lot of times you didn't, but still you could fight and make sure your film was seen. You sell it to Netflix. Now you sell it to Google. Now you sell it to Amazon. Now you sell it to Apple. It goes off into this, this digital void that folks don't see it, but the plus side. Okay. Cause I think Netflix makes a lot of shit. They oh, do. Yeah. Yeah. And they'll probably never do a deal with me. Cause this will get back to somebody at Netflix somehow, some way, but they make shit. Remember HBO in the nineties, Almost every show, every movie they made that was under their creative dictum was really fucking good. And that was Chris Albrecht. Now, he made a snorted a lot of coke and fucked whores and hookers on his desk in his office in Century City. Um, but he had a great eye for talent, for script, for directors. And just about 90% of what they made was really fucking good. It was, we got to see this. Yeah, yeah. HBO stood for standards, like like this was quality right here. If it was now HBO, Netflix, it was quality. George Clooney, great guy, wonderful human being, very beneficent, very good to his friends and to people that helped him get there. This film that came out two, three weeks ago, the what Midnight Sky or Into yeah. the whatever. Yeah. I don't know if you've watched it. I did. It's beautiful. Beautiful. Great shot. visual effects. Great cinematography. Where's the fucking story? Yeah, exactly. And then it just ends. And I mean, yeah, something bad happened at Earth and I can't go back there. Yeah. And do we go or don't we go? And, you know, the age of Serpico, the age of a man called Horse, the age oh. of Godfather is not really a fair example because it's so fucking good. But other great independent films that were built on a story, not on, wow, we can do this cool visual effect and we can make it, you know, or not built on one allegory. Uh, there's got to be something woven, something with elements and layers to, to hold an audience. Now, with Netflix, with Google, with Amazon, with um, Apple, you can have linear television episodes because folks can sit there and go, I'm going to watch all 20 episodes right now, one after another, after another, after another. You know, Breaking Bad, which I did not want to see because I don't want to see a show about somebody making drugs. I experienced enough drugs in the 70s and early 80s. I got friends that are dead. Right. Drugstore Cowboy, I went and watched it when it came out, which was a very cool independent film. Yep. I got physically yeah. ill hmm. because of the the stupid, how they set them, the characters, which was good. It was a great story that made me feel a visceral feeling. But now the fact that you can sit and watch... So their streaming is good, but I just I just don't like what it's done to the independent film world. It's, it's killed it. And now you throw COVID into it, you know, and film is even, I think voiceover world can live in animators, but, you know, an independent film where you're making a film for half a million, million bucks, you're scraping and digging and everybody's there for like, let's let's sing a song together and let's let's champion each other. So, you know, Phantom 2040, super cool. Black Scorpion, super, super, super cool because we made it for this much money. Yes, if it came out now with all the all the you know DC Comics and uh, um, Stan Lee's stuff, very cool, very heightened reality. Uh, but the great thing about that, it was almost like doing uh, community theater or summer stock theater. You know, we got paid. Yes, we compared to the average Joe, we got a nice wage. But compared to Hollywood standards, we got paid a mere pence. But it was fun. We had fun. Everybody liked each other. Roger, you know, there, there was none of that prima donna shit. 
Yeah, we, we talk about movies like that on the show, and we're like, you know, it's it's even though it's quote unquote a like quote unquote a bad movie or whatever, but you can tell that the love was put into it. You can tell that everyone was having a good time on set doing it, and I, that that translates. That translates to the audience, I think. Sometimes there's there's a film I did that I'm so proud of, and I don't only like horror fancy, and it's not really a horror film. Uh, to sleep with a vampire with Charlie Spaulding. Yeah. Yep. 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 She was the lead. I think it was made for maybe 450,000, maybe, wow. maybe half a million. But everybody that was there wanted to be there. And uh, the director, Adam Friedman, was a really cool, just excited about, you know, and I, I, I loved, it was just everybody wanted to be there and wanted to try to join together to make something together. There was none of that, well, I'm the king shit, and you're all lucky to be breathing the same air I'm breathing, you know. It, it was fun. I like that. I like that a lot. For centuries, there has been a creature that has fed off the blood of mankind. A being of darkness, of legend, of myth. But tonight, legends will die. Myths will be shattered. Darkness will meet the light. Scott Valentine of Family Ties and My Demon Lover... Charlie Spradling of Wild at Heart and Puppet Master to sleep with a vampire. That movie should be revisited, actually, because it's I, I think it's uh, I haven't watched it in a number of years, but but it but I remember watching it quite a few times back in the day. And you're right. It's not a horror film per se. It's more dramatic. It's a journey, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I do want to say be, before we let you go. We often we've had a lot of people on our show and we've and, and we've gone down memory lane with them. But to have you on the show, it, it's such an honor to be able to to hear about your journey and, and to hear a real depthness, if that's a, even a word. <laughs> if it isn't, I'm just making making it up. Um, it is now, right? <laughs> no, but just just to have a real conversation. And thank you so much for your openness and your candidness and your warmth. And I feel like. You know, we may be thousands of miles apart, but I feel like you're right next to us uh, having a beverage and eating a bowl of oatmeal with an egg on top. <laughs> Dude, let's go get some oatmeal with egg. I love it. I'm telling you, revolutionary. I just want to say real quick, you know, thank you for being instrumental in helping a young, creative, you know, like like ten year old kid, like just be more secure and and his and his creativity and and who he is. And I know that you said cool. it was. I know that you said it's you know the writing and everything, but it's a lot of it is you. So thank you. As you, I'm sure you can tell, this was a massive honor for me. So thank you very much, Scott. Sure, brother. Hey, you know, I think, I think the pains that we're feeling right now in our country is because there are so many people that feel disenfranchised. I think a, a gentleman, a guy, and not a gentleman, a guy that I think very little of and very poorly towards got elected because he wanted to make the disenfranchised feel franchised. Yeah. I think we need to stop judging each other and realizing we're all different. It's it's a rainbow of colors and let's embrace that. that that's what America was. That's what America should be you know, is, is, is rivaling our differences. That's why they have 31 flavors, right? <laughs> Couldn't have said it any better. You guys rock. Thank you. Thank you Let's so much. Let's do it again. Thanks again. Thank Bye. you. Bye. I bet we've been together for a million years. And I bet we'll be together for a million more. Oh, it's like I started breathing on the night we kissed. And I can't remember what I ever did before What would we do, baby, without us? What would we do, baby, without us? And there ain't no nothing we can't love each other through What would we do, baby, without us? Sha-la-la-la Thank you for listening to Podcasting After Dark's exclusive interview series with Scott Valentine and 
as always, thank you for your support. Imagine being one of the last people on Earth, being trapped alone with something not human. Something always watching. Something always waiting. What would you do? Where would you run? Where would you hide if you were haunted for seven winters alone? Podcasting After Dark presents Seven Winters Alone. A dystopian haunted house story by David Irons. Available now in paperback and ebook.